Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So great to have you with us. As Pastor Dave mentioned just a few moments ago, we're right in the middle of a little uh, three-part mini-series entitled Grace Effect. Our summer project, Rise and Build, was 13 weeks long, and it was comprehensive. We rode Rise and Build from the start of June all the way to the end of August. And so with Grace Effect, you better pay close attention because it's going to be over in the blink of an eye. And from my perspective, and I've been talking to you about this for the past 30 years, there is no greater subject in the Bible, the entire Bible, than the theme of grace. It was John who said that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God said, who said it? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Think about every word in that statement. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And that word sufficient in the Greek means enough to meet the need. What's necessary to get the job done. So in other words, with God, there is no lack. And check out 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able, who's able? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, I'm going to say it again, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Over and over again in the scripture, we're told that God's grace is his amazing gift to us. Grace is a gift like no other gift. And here's the best part. God extends grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us grace when we don't deserve it. That's why oftentimes the simple definition of grace is the unmerited favor of God. And believe me, it's all that and more. But another definition, a very good working definition for grace, is God providing us and empowering us with everything necessary to do his will. God giving us everything we need as believers to do his will. That means even when life gets hard, when we're facing impossible situations, and we're having a difficult time understanding the why of things, his grace is sufficient. He can and will come through for us, just like we were singing about all morning. And here at Community Christian Church, We have loved the grace of God and fully embraced that gift that God has given to us. Early on, we wrapped and we fashioned five different core values 
around the word grace. And you should know this by now. In fact, you should know this by heart. But being gracious this morning, I'm going to help you out here. All right? G, God deserves to be first. R, relationships matter. A, acts of service. C, compassion for others. And E, everything belongs to God. Five powerful core values that are so much more than religious do's and don'ts. And when you lock into the gospel message, these five principles or these five core values, they're an extension of the teachings of Jesus, and they clearly define the way that we as believers are supposed to live. And again, it's God who provides the grace to get there. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, this is what Paul wrote. As a prisoner for the Lord, not in prison because of shoplifting or some kind of an assault or tax evasion, but because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, I urge you, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Through the bond of peace. In that passage that we just read, I'm hoping you picked up on some of the behavior that Paul instructs us to showcase in our everyday lives. In other words, not just on Sunday morning, you know, from 10 to noon when we're in church but all of the time. He said, be completely humble. Be completely gentle. Be completely patient. Bear with one another. Which means to make allowance for people when they make mistakes, when they mess their lives up, you know, cut them some slack. He said, walk in unity, walk in faith, walk in peace and in harmony. And to get us moving in the right direction, he starts the whole thing off by saying, live a life worthy of your calling. Can I get you to say that this morning? Live a life worthy of your calling. One more time. Live a life worthy of your calling. Now, I'll, I'll read a statement like that in the scripture as I'm going through. And I'll stop. Because a, a, a verse like that, a statement like that, will compel me to ask, what is our calling? How are we supposed to live? If Paul is crying out to us, if he's urging us and beseeching and appealing us to live a life worthy of our calling, I want to know what that means. What does that mean to live a life worthy of your calling? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, just a few verses later, he answers that question by saying, imitate God. Say what? Yes, be imitators of God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. My dear friends, this is our calling. Every single one of us. As believers, we have been appointed by God. We have been called by God to imitate Christ to emulate 
mirror and follow the example that he's given to us. And now I'm talking about in actions and in attitude. And these days, I hear all of the excuses of why that can't happen. I mean, like, it, it, it sounds good on paper, in theory, or when you're preaching a sermon, but in reality, come on. In our culture today, you're expecting me to live a humble, gentle, patient life. It just can't be done. And over and over again, we come up against this conflict as to whether or not we can truly adhere to the instructions that Paul has given to us. Live a life that imitates the very character of our Lord and Savior. Now, I don't know if you had a chance to see the movie The Hill. It was at the show a couple of weeks ago. If you get a chance to see it, I would recommend it. The movie The Hill tells the story of a young boy by the name of Ricky Hill who loved the game of baseball. Baseball was his passion, and he got good at it. He played baseball every waking hour, and he had a dream that one day he would go to the big leagues. Unfortunately for Ricky, he was born with a spinal disease, which caused him to wear leg braces most of his young adult life. And everywhere he went, even though he worked hard to overcome his handicap, people in his world told him, face the facts, put away your dream, there is no way in the world you're ever going to play professional baseball. Now, what happens? I'm going to let you watch the movie and find out for yourself. But the reason I bring it up this morning is because in the movie, The Hill, there's a subplot. Ricky's dad is a preacher. And he loves to preach about sin and wrath and the coming judgment of God. And back in the 1960s, that was the reoccurring theme. Preachers loved to talk about human failure and condemnation. And it was a steady diet of hellfire and brimstone. And so you'd come to church on a Sunday morning feeling pretty rotten about the message from the previous week. You'd get another dose of the same thing and you'd leave church feeling even worse. And modern church leaders said that had to change. And they were absolutely right. It did have to change. And so what usually happens with the pendulum of correction, if you heard me talk about this in the past, it swings all the way to the other side. And how many of you have learned an imbalance in the gospel message is dangerous and deficient regardless of which side you lean towards? And over the past 15 or 20 years, I have seen and I've experienced a shift in the Sunday morning content in a lot of different churches reading what's popular, reading uh, from experts what we should be doing, and, and having uh, different kinds of email encouragement come our way, I, I've noticed that the message has, has changed. And instead of preachers using the Word of God to encourage us to change our actions and our behavior and our lifestyle, the focus has become Christian comfort, ease, and self-acceptance. And we're hearing more of that over and over again. After all, God wants us happy, right? I mean, God wants us living a blessed life, all of us. Trouble-free, 
pain-free lives where we can call upon God to open the windows of heaven and pour out his abundance on us. And today we love to read Bible passages like Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, means full of grace. Slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. I don't know about you, I love these passages of scripture. I love these verses. I quote them all the time. This is a beautiful, poetic, and accurate description of God. And it was, Paul, it was uh, uh, King David who wrote it. And he wrote this description of God when he was still under the old law. Because God had given to David a spiritual revelation of grace and mercy when no one else received it. And please believe me when I tell you that God loves us with everlasting love. He has great acceptance for his people. And he has removed through Jesus our transgressions. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He remembers how he fashioned us together, how frail we are, how prone to failure we can be. God remembers all of that. And because these days we love to read verses of scripture like Psalm 103 and many other passages in the Bible like this one that talks about the grace of God, talks about the goodness and the mercy of God, how much he loves us and how much he cares about us, that he's entered into a covenant relationship with us and he wants to give us the very best that he has. Because of the focus on these types of scripture, we've kind of adopted the attitude that he's one of us. God's one of us. And he understands us. And a statement that I'm hearing more and more these days, repeated so often, is God gets us. I see that plastered all over social media. People tell me all the time, I'm not perfect, but God knows my heart. He gets me. God gets me. And maybe this past year's $20 million Super Bowl ad campaign, he gets us, has fueled that mentality. And I promise you, he does get us. He understands us. He remembers how he fashioned us. And please don't forget, he was the one who spoke humanity into existence. He created us. But instead of controlling the outcome, instead of mass producing a race of robots all programmed to respond the exact same way on cue, God added free will into the mix. God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a message. I'm going to send you my word. I'm going to help you to decide how you should live your life. Then I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for your sins. 
My Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you. It's going to point you in the right direction. But I'm going to give you the power to choose. You are going to have the power to make your own decisions and your own choices. Nobody's going to force you. You're going to be able to do that on your own. And friends, listen to me very clear, uh, carefully right now. With choice came the wonder of grace. With choice came the beauty of grace. The moment sin entered into the human race, God released grace. And now I mean all the necessary ingredients to correct the ship. And I said all that to get to this point. That's the grace effect. The outpouring of God's goodness, his presence and power, especially in our time of weakness. God remembers how he created us. God knows what we face. He knows where we get tripped up. He understands all that. And so he gave us this incredible gift called grace. Now, we live in Michigan. Most of us do anyway. And as Michiganders, if there's one thing we understand, it's lake effect precipitation. In October, that precipitation usually comes in the form of rain. Later on in the year, as the, it gets a little bit colder, the rain turns to snow. And in the Michigan winter, when it's not raining and it's not snowing, what do we typically experience? Clouds. Dark, gloomy, ominous, ugly clouds. And while we're on the subject of clouds, you may or may not know this, but Michigan is the seventh cloudiest state in the United States. We have somewhere between 65 and 75 clear days out of the year. Florida, on the other hand, has about 230 sunny days, which begs the question, what in the world are we doing in Michigan? But we're here. Now, in very simple terms, who can tell me what causes the Michigan clouds and precipitation? The Great Lakes. The water coming from the Great Lakes. I mean, you don't have to be a trained weather expert to know that it's the wind blowing over the moisture of the lakes, the, the wind blowing over uh, the, the water that creates this precipitation and clouds. Case in point, is Lake Superior. Lake Superior is right around 32,000 square miles. That might not mean anything to you, but check this out. Lake Superior is the second largest lake in the world. Number two, second only to the Caspian Sea. And so without question, it's the size, the volume, and the location of the four Michigan Great Lakes that creates a tremendous amount of lake effect. And such is the case with God's grace. There is nothing in heaven, on earth, or below the earth any more potent and powerful than the grace of God. And he, again, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's more than enough. 
It's what you need to get the job done. And grace effect is always at work in our lives. There's always a residual of God's grace, regardless of what we're going through. Now, a lot of people, they draw from the grace of God when things are going good. But his grace is sufficient for us when things are not so good. He's always at work. He's always allowing the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow in our direction and bring that grace effect our way. And so in the time remaining this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about three measures of God's grace. Three different aspects or dimensions of grace. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, a couple of you are. There's, there's saving grace, there's sanctifying grace, and there's sustaining grace. One more time. There's saving grace, sanctifying grace, and sustaining grace. Let me give you a couple Bible verses to validate all this. The first verse is John chapter 1 and verse 16. From his fullness, whose fullness? Jesus, from Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So not just grace, not just one level of grace, but multitude of graces, multiple grace. A second passage is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God that appeared, has appeared, that offers salvation to all people, it, what's it? Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace also teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, there's multiple levels of grace. When you're thinking about grace, there's saving grace, there's sanctifying grace, and there's sustaining grace. So let's take a look at these quickly, one at a time. The first one is saving grace. In the Titus passage that we just read, the Bible comes right out, out and tells us that it's God who saves us. He's the one who offers salvation to us. God saves us from our sins, and he saves us from a godless eternity. Now, as Pastor Dave mentioned a, a couple of moments ago, uh, last week in lesson number one of this series, Pastor Chris talked about saving grace, did an amazing job. I said it last week, I'll say it again today. Everyone needs to hear the message on grace that was preached last Sunday. And once you hear it, I'm going to encourage you to listen to it again, because it is the essence of our faith. A passage of scripture that Pastor Chris quoted last Sunday is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You probably should think about memorizing that passage. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friends, have you learned we can't save ourselves? We try. Uh, we get going along in our Christianity, and we fall back on a gospel of works, but we can't save ourselves. Jesus is the one who went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. He died for our sins. There is nothing we could ever do to earn or deserve eternal salvation. He died, he shed his blood, he paid full price for the redemption of sins, and it's faith in Jesus, faith in the finished work of the cross that releases saving grace. 
There's a second kind of grace that I want to talk about for the purpose of today. It's called sanctifying grace. It's different than saving grace. Saving grace is immediate. It happens with a snap of God's fingers, and it's final. When you are saved, and I mean legitimately saved, when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ and you bow your knee there, and you understand that Jesus died for your sins, and you get saved, it's permanent, it's lasting, it's forever. So saving grace is immediate. Sanctifying grace is gradual. It takes time, a lot of time, years and years, lesson after lesson, experience after experience, because God's objective is to go to work in our lives until we are made in his image and likeness. And how many of you know, that's his top priority in our lives. There's a lot of other things that are good, but what God is after is the imitation of Christ. It's to be made in his image and likeness. It's to emulate and model the example that Jesus gave to us. And so saving grace, which is immediate, it removes the penalty of sin. Sanctifying grace gives us the power and the strength to overcome and resist the temptation of sin. Saving grace takes away the penalty. Sanctifying grace gives us the authority, the power to resist temptation. Saving grace takes faith in Jesus and it's relatively painless. Sanctifying grace requires full surrender. And that, my friends, can be extremely painful. As God goes to work on our hearts, as he changes us, day to day, as he files off the rough edges, as he, he puts us through paces uh, and, and asks us to surrender to him, that can cause a little bit of problems for us, a little bit of pain. Again, according to Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, sanctifying grace gives us the ability to say no to sinful behavior. Sanctifying grace gives us the power to resist ungodly behavior, selfish desires, the workings of the flesh. But there's another kind of grace that allows us to say yes to living a fruitful and a faith-filled life. That brand of grace is sustaining grace. And that grace allows us to fight the good fight of faith all the way to the very end. You see, sustaining grace gives us unfailing determination to hang in there when we face conflict, when we have to navigate hardships, when we're dealing with sickness, when we're going through disappointments, when we're persevering through adversity, all of the time maintaining a certain unmovable, unshakable trust in our God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, when Paul the Apostle was feeling the pressure, I mean, when he was about as low as he could go, experiencing difficulty after difficulty, hashing it out with the Spirit of the Lord, wondering why he just couldn't get any movement positively in his life. Here's what he said. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. 
We are persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but not destroyed. After everything that Paul went through, and you got to read the list. He wrote all about it. All of the beatings, being shipwrecked, stoned and left for dead, the times that the religious leaders hounded him, the imprisonment, the humiliation, plus the cares of all the church. Paul has this testimony. How can he give us this testimony? How could he be this strong spiritually facing all of those trials and troubles? Only one way, sustaining grace. God revealing his power and presence to us in the time of trouble when we're walking through difficult times. So Jehovah God, our God, oftentimes referred to as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So much more than just someone who meets our financial and physical needs. He provides grace upon grace. Many different layers of grace. Saving grace, sanctifying grace, and sustaining grace. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that in the very beginning, when you created Adam and Eve and you called this world into existence, you had grace effect in mind. You knew what was going to happen, Lord. You knew that as human beings, we were not going to be able to follow your word to perfection. And so you created a gift called grace. And your grace is always at work in our lives. It never goes away. Regardless of what we're facing, regardless of what we go through, how many difficulties that come our way in this life, and sometimes, Lord, there's just one right after the other. But you said clearly in your word, your grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. And you would provide for us. Your power would be perfected in weakness. And when we come to you, we could come boldly. We can come to what's called the throne of your grace. We're asking, Lord, that you would do a couple things by the power of your spirit. One of them being to explode in us a fresh understanding of this power called grace. We use this word often. We toss it around in common conversation because it means so much to us. Lord, I'm asking for a fresh awareness of how you are involved in every area of our life. That you're always concerned regardless of what we go through. You contend with those who contend with us. You fight against those who fight against us. Lord, you are always available in our time of sorrow, loss, weakness, sickness, failure. And we're praying, Lord, this morning in these closing moments that we could run to the Father, that we wouldn't shy away from you, that we wouldn't go in the opposite direction, 
And that, Lord, if there's something that we need to deal with in our lives, positive or negative, we would know that you're there for us. You love us with an everlasting love and you continually draw us to the place of being made in your image and likeness. Lord, we pray that you would move in these closing moments. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask you to please have a seat for a second. Can I get you to just close your eyes, bow your heads, and give me a couple more minutes. I promise I'm not going to drag this out. You know, it's so great to be able to come to church or to check in online and be in the presence of God and be recipients of worshipful music and the ministry of his word. I feel one thing that the Holy Spirit is really instructing us today is to listen carefully to the word that's being spoken and then to obey it. To walk in the power of it. Not just to hear what the Spirit is saying, but to hear and then to be willing to make adjustments. And I'm wondering today, if one of those areas of grace that I talked about would be something that you need to respond to this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never really fully made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you're a good person. You do a lot of good things. You know the scripture. You know what happened on Christmas. You know that on Easter Jesus died and was raised back to life. But you never fully surrendered your heart to God through his son Jesus Christ and you never, you never said, Lord, take my life. If that's you today and you want to be a recipient of his saving grace, the first grace that we talked about, could I get you to just lift your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. I'm not going to call you out or ask you to come forward. Not today anyway. Anyone else? You need that saving grace element. Thank you for that hand. Or maybe right now, you need some sanctifying grace. Maybe you're caught up in something right now. Maybe there's an addiction that you have. Or maybe uh, you're just having a difficult time finding your way to full trust and faith in God. Maybe there's some family problems or some relationship issues that you're struggling with. Just something that you need for God to go to work in your heart and give you the strength, give you that grace that will get you to overcome some of these fleshly issues. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I appreciate your honesty. Thank you so much. Dear God, pour out your sanctifying grace here this morning. Or maybe you're going through a trial right now, and it's a rough one. Maybe you just experienced the loss of a loved one. I have. I need his sustaining grace in my life, friend. Maybe it's been a long road for you and there's been disappointments and there's been sickness and one medical report that's been negative after another and you just need his peace and his strength
to sustain you. If that's you, could you raise your hand for just a moment? Thank you. Father, see these hands. Our acknowledgement of our need for your greatest gift through Jesus, the gift of grace. I pray for those, Lord, who raised their hand. It might have been three or four people who want to know you as their Savior and Lord. There were people who made that commitment last week. We thank you again, Lord, for the greatest miracle in the kingdom of God, people coming to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray for those who are going through some things right now, Lord, that have tripped them up spiritually. The enemy has overcome in their life. The enemy has brought temptation after temptation, and maybe they're in an area, Lord, that they shouldn't be. I thank you for that sanctifying grace and for the sustaining grace that you provide. Lord, that helps us fight the good fight of faith all the way, every day. I pray, Lord, for that grace to be available to the church today. Because, Lord, we don't want to just hear your word. We want to be doers of your word. We want to listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying and walk in the power of the Spirit, staying in step with the Spirit, receiving, Lord, the full benefit of all that you have for us. We thank you for the grace effect. We thank you for the gift that you give to us each and every day of our lives. And we're going to draw that grace today, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the several that raised their hand, let's give them a round of applause for their courage. We really want to help you if you legitimately raised your hand and you'd love to know more about serving the Lord Jesus. We have a next steps desk in the lobby. We'd be glad to give you a gift and help you on your way. Everyone else who uh, raised their hand and uh, responded, thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate it. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. Enjoy the clouds today.